Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast for Brain Fact Friday, episode number 140, and our first live stream event. I'm Andrea Samadhi, the author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now living in the United States, but broadcasting this live stream from my balcony in Hawaii with my co-host, Catherine Alexander, who's joining us from London, United Kingdom. And like many of our listeners, we've both been fascinated with learning and understanding the science behind high-performance strategies in our school sports and the workplace. And if you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know that we've uncovered that if we want to improve our social and emotional skills and experience success in our work and personal lives, it all begins with an understanding of our brain. For our first live stream event, I've invited my colleague and good friend, Catherine Alexander. She's the owner of Talent Investors, and she's joining us, like I said, from London, United Kingdom. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on my first live stream event. You know why I've asked you to be here today, right? Well, um, I don't know. I'm going to have to um, think it may be related to the fact that your podcast is now in, what, 143 countries, right? Yes. Yes, we've right. reached 143 countries. and. It's a which geography lesson. Phenomenal, which is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, my whole being, it really resonates with me. Um, I grew up all over the world. Um, I live and breathe international communities, cosmopolitanism, um, bringing people together. And the fact that you are connecting people through neuroscience, I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm so chuffed to be here. So thank you so much for having me on. Well, absolutely, Kate. I appreciate you being here. And since June is the anniversary of when we actually launched this podcast, we actually launched it June 2019. And now we're actually going into our third year of creating biweekly episodes, approaching 100,000 downloads. That's my goal. We're almost at 80,000. We should reach 80,000 downloads with this episode. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy. Like when I first started this, I thought if I could get a hundred people to listen, because I, I kind of know, I know the numbers and statistics of things. And I thought, you know, the, the podcast statistics, they're going to be public. Everyone's going to know it either works or it doesn't work. And so it's pretty exciting that this has worked. But then you add to the, the fact that this month I hit that mile marker of turning 50 and I knew it was time to shake things up. And, you know, when when I was watching the work that you're doing around innovation with your Best Boss series, when you did that series and you were interviewing innovators in business, what did you think stuck out for you for leaders who excelled with what they were doing when they rose to the top? What kinds of things did you notice they were doing differently from the rest? Well, first of all, I should probably explain what my company does. Um, so I started off uh, 12 years ago um, as an executive search company, and we were placing high caliber candidates all over the world uh, across multiple industries. And then as time went on, we um, I've started coaching people more and more, initially just purely career coaching, uh, getting people ready for interviews. And then again, as time went further on, I've... Um, 
kind of shifted mainly into into career co- coaching, and uh, and now I'm uh, I'm training to be a neuro coach. Well, actually, uh, as you are, and. Um, uh, when it came to uh, when the basketball series originated, um, it kind of uh, came through my work with different candidates and different uh, businesses. People complain and people um, waste so much precious energy complaining about horrible bosses, and we've all met those. And uh, rather than giving them the time of day, I thought, well, how about we celebrate and learn from people who do things really well? Um, what is it that they have in common? And again, given that I love international communities, uh, bringing people together, uh, learning from different cultures, um, I wanted to speak to people from all over the world, across sectors, um, and we really had people who were nominated by, uh, by the network from such a variety of, uh, of industries. Uh, genuinely, from Formula One, we had a former... U.S. ambassador as one of our leaders. Um, we had doctors. We had uh, orchestra conductors. It was a really, really fascinating in-depth study. And the one thing that really, well, actually, no, three things which um, uh, stood out for me were the one that which I found genuinely surprising was the fact that they all said there's no such thing as a difference between um, uh, work life and personal life. It's just sort of it's just life, which consists of both work and leisure and family, etc., etc. But the one thing they've all consistently said that they were able to separate uh, and have the emotional maturity that once you enter home, you forget about work. This is it. Basically, your working day ends at whatever hour. And that's just it. You leave your laptop, you leave your phone until the next morning. And they said this is how they're able to stay afloat. And uh, because obviously we all know you can't uh, you can't eat from an empty vessel. And that's pretty much the principle here. Um, would you agree? Is this something you can relate to? <laughs> you know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you give me such a hard time with. Ah, uh, yes, the I do. The different cultures, you know, it's like in order to get ahead, you just have to work harder. That's the way the 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 way that it works in the U.S. It's the way that that I've always known it. Uh, ever since I moved to the U.S. from Toronto, I feel like I don't want to be behind. I don't know what it is about like I don't want to be behind with anything. I don't want to be behind East Coast time, so I get up super early. And I know, Kate, you you give me a hard time with doing work on weekends. It's just the way it goes. If you want to prepare for the week, you got to do some work on the weekends. And and I know that's just not the European way, but it's, well, it's the only... Well, like I said, you know, we had bosses as really seriously high-flying people, like, you know, uh, the former U.S. ambassador. She's a serious lady. And mm-hmm. uh, she was one of those people who always said, no, 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 there's got to be an end. You can't just always live to work. You have to... You have to have a separation, a time when you fill yourself in, going to exhibitions and speaking to people and going to dinner parties and uh, and art shows, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Otherwise, you just become, uh, you know, there's only so much you can give if you just continuously give. You're not taking anything else. You're not replenishing yourself. Um, so that's one of the things which came up. Um, another thing um, was also... St- 
good bosses really were able to step away from the limelight and share it, uh, share this so much and so generously with the people around them. They were able to delegate, um, push people forward, allow them to really fly, um, just sort of curbing their own ego quite a bit in the process. And, and hence, they gained so much loyalty. Um, people who grew under under their supervision, under their um, leadership, and uh, people stay in the businesses uh, thanks to bosses like that. And uh, and finally, one final thing uh, which uh, emerged was um, a very clear vision. So all of the successful bosses had a very very crystal clear uh, vision, which they shared again very clearly, communicated really well all the way down and across the uh, across the business and um but what's really interesting and i'd love to share with you guys is the fact uh, when we've started moving uh, from um experienced senior leaders onto the next generation of leaders millennials and and even uh, gen z um it was incredibly interesting that people who are supremely well educated supremely well connected intelligent speaking multiple languages they have a very different approach to leadership and to life and to careers. And rather than being loyal to business, they're now very much driven by their mission in life, by the purpose. And therefore, they connect with the company's mission and with the company's purpose rather than the actual business. And they will move mountains for that mission and they will uh, hold the company to, uh, to um, hold it accountable, making sure that you know that mission remains the goal. The why is there, and uh, whereas all of our previous leaders have always been loyal to the business and the mission was kind of there. Got it. So almost like the Simon Sinek starts. With yeah, the completely. Why, you know, completely. That. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Well, once we know our why, why we're doing stuff, then that's what the driver is. Um, and then, like you say, we just have to be careful that we find the balance in there and not push too hard or we'll burn out, which mm. it, it, it'll show up in some way, whether it's health or um, performance in some way. That's why I'm measuring everything with these devices. And it's crazy, Kate, because the first time in probably two years of measuring sleep, I had a perfect sleep score the other day. And I'm like, I've never had anything above like a 60% uh, sleep efficiency. So it's just insane that um, sometimes well, taking a break. It's for you to go to Hawaii, you see, and uh, now finally you're sleeping well. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's see if I can keep this up when I'm back home. Well, you might just routine. have to stay in Hawaii, hey? <laughs> That's what that's what the family wants. They're like, why can't we live here? I'm like, well, they have a fair crazy. point, I gotta say. Exactly. Well, Kate, since this is Brain Fact Friday, I did want to share something we've recently learned from our neuroscience coaching training that we're doing together and invite any of the listeners that have come on to um, type into the chat and make this be interactive for us. So is there anything that you that comes to mind for you some secrets that uh you know that you've learned about the brain that have kind of helped propel you uh with what what's going on over there personally and professionally 
Um, the one thing that really comes to mind is through our recent uh, neurocoaching uh, that we have with Mark Waldman is how quickly we can diffuse uh, anxiety and negative emotions through uh, uh, well, divorcing the emotion from fact. And uh, once you know how to cool your brain down, how to move from your thinking um, uh, brain into your imagine imagination, uh, so therefore from your central executive network to default mode network, and uh, and suddenly the change can happen within 20 minutes. And when we work with different people and we would train with one another, um, different emotions come up and people go from a highly agitated state to feeling very calm and very relaxed and very serene within 60 to 90 seconds, if only you know how to diffuse that emotion. And I find it incredible. I mean, it's something that I would never have been able to do before without having that knowledge. Definitely, it's it's that understanding of switching between the the three networks. That's mm. that's pretty powerful, and you have to stop and think about it. It's like I've never, you know, in the past, but without knowing this information, you take deep breaths when emotions come up, or you have some other strategy. But now, with the brain in mind, knowing, okay, I can't be in my imagination network when I'm feeling these like anxiety or whatever is bothering you, you got to switch out. And how do you switch out, especially if you're like in the moment of something? It's like a split second that you've got to make a, a choice and think something differently or do put your focus on something else to switch to that next. Mm, I, was, I was genuinely amazed to see how the most powerful emotions, uh, the really scary uh, fits of anxiety can literally pass. Like I said, 60 to 90 seconds, as long as you don't, you don't place much value on them and you just observe them without judging them, you just literally watch them and breathe into them and allow for them to pass. 90 seconds, all gone. Incredible. It is amazing. Absolutely. And I, you talked about the emotion part of it. It's it's interesting if I, as I have different speakers that come on. This one speaker, Mary Helen Imordino Yang, I've I've seen her work for years. I've seen her with Dr. Dan Siegel, and I never really knew what her work was until mm -hmm. she. You know, you, you you see people and they they do these uh, events, but you don't go and read their books. And until I interviewed her, I thought, well, I better get an understanding of what she's written. And her books are all about um, we feel, therefore we learn, like the emotion behind learning and how to help students uh, get the, the uh, information they're learning into their long-term memory. And that ties into Frederica Fabricius. She wrote the book, How the Brain Learns. And we had her on uh, in the beginning. She's from Germany and talks about how we've got to have fun with our work to hit those highest levels of peak performance and productivity. And I just wonder about the listeners, if anyone's come on and wants to type in what has been fascinating for you or helpful for learning about how the brain works. If you want to type in the chat, anything that you've learned about the brain that's helped you with your work or productivity, we've given some, some ideas. Let us know what, what you think. We I see some people on if you want to type in. 
Otherwise, we'll just keep going. But Kate, I've known you from some time, and I think we were accountability partners at a certain point where we we have been for sure, right? Helping each other stay on track with whatever we're working on. And but then life hits, and I know you've had some extremely difficult times lately in addition to the pandemic. How have you been able to stay on track with your life, with positivity, with everything that's been going on personally for you? If you want to share what's been happening in your personal life that's really knocked things off course for you. How are you working with the fears and everything that's coming up in your life right now? So a year and a half ago, uh, my my daughter, who at the time was eight, uh, 19, um, she was diagnosed with stage four germ cell tumor. And uh, uh, the professor who was treating her, um, when she asked her to sign the consent form for uh, starting chemotherapy, she said, you do realize we cannot cure you. So this is terminal. We had absolutely no preparation. We had no psychologist present. Uh, we weren't asked whether it was something we wanted to hear. It, um, I don't have the words to describe what it does um, to a person. And in fact, I am fairly certain I'm still not over it. I don't think I'll ever forget the woman and not in a good way. Um, and so it's taking me months um, all the way, it, it only happened uh, two days before Christmas, and uh, all the way until the end of February, um, my daughter was in the hospital um, on chemo, and she was unable to walk because the tumor had grown so much. And um, pretty much the whole time, I was in a state. We all know that uh, emotions and fear uh, also impact um, our movement. And, um, and there were times when I literally couldn't stand up. I would get out of bed and I would just fall to the floor and I'd be unable to pick myself up. And uh, for the next two months, um, I think I was pretty much in the same um, tracksuit bottoms and most likely in the same T-shirt. And, um, and it took me all that time to finally uh, get myself up uh, for her sake and start moving. And uh, so the last 18 months has been a journey through fear. And it's only recently when things have started coming down a little bit, although she's still in treatment, she's still in chemo, she's had a uh, very scary, very big invasive surgery, which went again just before surgery and consent forms, they've, asked, they've told us that she's very likely to lose her leg, bleed out on the table or, uh, and not make it at all. Um, and um, I think it's only just now that I'm beginning to realize that my um, spiritual lesson in all of this is understanding fear by going through fear. And uh, whereas before I used to think, and actually really hope that there was some kind of a switch, you know, once you unlock fear, you're good to go. And now I realize that. Uh, the only way through here is it's it's a process. You just have to go. It's like a tunnel. And uh, and what I found, what I've discovered, is that being in the moment and only being in the moment uh, can save you. It's when it's overwhelming, paralyzing, and you can't breathe, you can't eat, you can't move. The only thing you can really do is just literally take it into. I used to think, but it, 
take it by the hour, and then I go to a point where I take it by the minute. And so if you have to take it by the minute, you have to take it by the minute. But uh, fear can be, um, uh, can be lived through. You just can't allow it to overtake you. Just you can't, this is, this is where your imagination network comes in. If you switch into that and you start thinking, well, what if six months down from this, this happens? What if, what if, what if? And so the what if is your enemy. You can't go there. This is where you have to be in a minute, in a moment, and just, just be in the now. Absolutely, Kate. That's just a heart-wrenching story of what you've been going through with those fears that we just sometimes don't even know what how to address them. And how have you been um, able to just get to where you are now? Well, um, you know, we discovered once I have... Um, once I've discovered that she is being stronger than me and she's actually having it, she's smiling through the chemo, through the hair loss, through the uh, horrible side effects, uh, through the fact that she was at 19 um, completely, well, practically tied to her bed. She couldn't even walk to the shower. She couldn't uh, get to the loo. She had a catheter for um, eight months. Um, and once I've realized that if she can do it, then by God, I can definitely do it. If uh, not for myself, then definitely for her. And so we've made, and, and you know, once you realize that you can't really plan for anything, life, life is, and I'm such a planner, I, I love making sure that my life is on track and everything up to this point has always been on track and I've always felt like I could control anything, whether that's business or my personal life. And then suddenly it hits you so hard and so unexpectedly and seemingly out of nowhere. And then you realize that you can control absolutely nothing. And from there, I just think it's fine. We'll just make every single day, every single moment of that day as beautiful, as enjoyable as physically possible. So through the pandemic, when we couldn't leave the house, we couldn't have the tea, you know, we couldn't do anything. We just had food delivered. We used the most beautiful plates, the most beautiful table settings. We had fresh flowers all over the house. It all smelled clean. It was impeccably clean, the whole place. And we just enjoyed ourselves. We, we cooked, you know, again, going back to my uh, love for international communities and learning from different cultures, we cooked foods from Lebanon to Ethiopia to uh, Ghana to America, all over the world. And we just, we just ate really well. That's just pretty much what we did. We ate really, really well. Wow, I've heard uh, a couple of people in the chat have been giving some ideas and thoughts. And we've got Scott who mentioned a German medical doctor who took CAT scans of thousands of his patients and was able to correlate emotional traumas with brain regions and disease. But what happened with Masha, you had no indication for, right? Like you had, there was nothing that would indicate that she wasn't well. Is that, is that No, she was, uh, she, again, she's a, she, she was a healthy 19 year old kid who was uh, happily at uni. Um, she was working, she was dating, she was loving life, she was traveling, she was just running around busy, busy, busy all the time. 
But unfortunately, um, the thing about germ cell tumors is that it essentially happens in the embryo at very early stages of development. And the thing, it's kind of like a time bomb, and it's just there until mm. suddenly it's, it's just massive. It grew huge. And um, um, just a, well, three months before it was discovered, uh, as a stage four cancer, she she complained about her sciatic nerve in her leg, and she says, "Mom, I have a pain in my uh, in my hip," and uh, and nothing nothing would have indicated anything serious. So I said, "Well, honey, you, you you know you need to move a little bit. So you're just sitting at uni, you're sitting at work, you're sitting at home. Of course, you've got a pain in your hip." And then uh, we had an osteopath come in and uh, just kind of fixed her. And then another time, a month later, again, the same thing. And, uh, and of course, and by the time you actually see someone, it's quite often too late. Um, and the thing with it is that it grows. It can grow from nothing, like literally, and I mean nothing, nothing, microscopic, uh, untraceable elements uh, to a massive, whopping 30, meter, 30 centimeter uh, long tumor. I don't know what it is in inches, but it's, it's, it's uh, if you put your two palms together, that's about the size of it. Wow. And I know like nothing like what you've experienced, I've had on our plate over here, but during difficult times, I found that sticking to routine has helped. Maybe because the brain likes predictability, it doesn't like change. So keeping a daily routine and like what you said, you found things to bring the joy into your day to move past it. And with the cooking, with the fresh flowers. And, and then do, would you say that there was a time when things shifted and you had more belief behind her healing? Like, was there a time that you noticed where things change for you guys after doing things over and over again and her treatment? What, how did you get yeah, to where you um, are right now? I think, actually, ironically, it took me to break my leg. It's kind of like it takes you to go to Hawaii so you start sleeping. And then back in February, I broke my leg and uh, and suddenly I couldn't do anything. I couldn't fetch tea. I couldn't, I, I couldn't help her in any way. And I felt horrible because suddenly everything fell onto my husband and I was just sitting like an idiot on the sofa with my leg propped up and in uh, so much pain. I never, you know, people just mention, oh, I broke my leg so casually and I never heard anybody tell me it's agonizingly painful. And so I tore my ligament, I broke my leg, um, I was just sitting on the, on the sofa and then suddenly she was the one looking after me. She was uh, wow. um, unloading the dishwasher. She started cooking again. She's like, brilliant chef she started painting she's um yeah she, she was helping me go to the loo all the very very basic mundane things and i kind of from there i feel like she, um it's triggered this uh this healing uh process um i i don't want to jinx it but it just since then she has she's been so much stronger and uh, lately she started going out and seeing her friends again which feels absolutely phenomenal. And I'm so just for her. Oh, I'd love to hear it, Kate. That's awesome. What about the, the listeners that might have been going through something, the pandemic, stress, frustration, health? What have you been using? I see Mandy's in there. She's been reading a lot of books and giving me suggestions on people to interview. 
anyone in the chat type some ideas of what you're doing to stay productive during difficult times, ways to keep the brain engaged. Just type Andrea, it in. Andrea, while people are typing, I was hoping uh, mm -hmm. you could tell us maybe how you, when you say brain doesn't like change and you like stability. And so what do you do to keep your day uh, grounded and flowing as it should? What's your strategy? Definitely. And it's usually having a consistent sleep and wake time, like always uh, getting up at the same time and going to bed at the same time. And I didn't realize that 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 researchers were finding that that was a precursor for productivity. When I interviewed Kristen Holmes from the Whoop device, that's actually a marker that they measure. And they, that's one of the, the statistics. They want to make sure that your sleep and wake times are consistent. And when they go off, it actually impacts productivity and, um, and your, your well-being even. So all, I always make sure that I'm winding down at the same time and getting up at the same time and having a consistent routine with that. So my morning routine is the same every day. And, you know, it's yeah. been... A little bit different uh, normally when i you know go away somewhere i have the same wake up time like whether i'm at home or somewhere else but it's it's been a little bit weird being um three hours different you know when you have a big time change it's mm. it's not as easy to stay as consistent but uh, but i also know that you're very active you're very energetic and you you exercise quite a bit which um i think is another and that, brilliant strategy to um uh, to release some dopamine and uh have a have a great start of the day right well definitely that's been my go-to strategy i think since my late 20s is to you know always exercise that and when the pandemic hit some of the mountains around our area closed down and i thought what am i gonna do without this strategy that i've had and and it was crazy because I interviewed, um, it was, I think, John Rady. Uh, he's the one that um, wrote all about the power of exercise on the brain and student learning. And we talked about the fact that at some point, your body just can't take that amount of exercise. So he's in his 70s, but he still works on getting his heart rate up. So he goes in the water and gets it and measures his heart rate to get it up higher. So no matter what level you're at, it's so important to make sure you keep the dopamine going. And so when, when those mountains were closing, I was like, that's when I started hiking at like four in the morning. I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get there before the rangers open the park. I'm going to sneak in the, the back way. I don't know what would happen to me if I didn't have that, but I'm sure we've all got our strategies. Mandy said, I do all the things you've mentioned. I have routine, get up early, quiet time, exercise. Yeah, Mandy. Mandy goes running um, in the snow. Like I remember when I lived in Toronto, my dad would yell at me. He's like, you can't go running. It was like ice, like cover the ground was covered in ice. He's like, you can't go. I'm like, I'm going. And Mandy does the same thing. I see her pictures. And then, it's interesting. She also mentions uh, uh, watching and listening to the birds. And you know what? I'm completely with you there, Mandy. I love the birds. And suddenly, you know, I feel like they're um, 
there's something beautiful about them. This uh, I've got sparrows. I have so many sparrows. Um, I think there must be a nest somewhere around, and they're just there in 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 twos, and they're lovely and so joyous and energetic. I absolutely love watching them. And then Scott said, Robin Sharma wrote a great book, The 5 a.m. Club. Yeah, it's, I feel like it started for me when I worked in the seminar industry. We, we started getting up early and it was really hard for me to get up early in Toronto. I don't know why, maybe because, you know, in where I live, like in Arizona, the tropical, you wake up and the, the palm trees are swaying and it just is a different feel. You wake up in Toronto, it's like dark and dreary. <laughs> It was really difficult, but yeah. This, is, this is basically what I'm facing here in London nine times of uh, nine, nine months of the year. I know. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Although, you know, I always, um, I like to wake up at five in the morning when everybody else is still asleep. And then you have the house to yourself and it's peaceful and quiet and you just get to do whatever it is you want to do. It's lovely. It is. It's a powerful time of the day. I just love that time. Kate, I, I sh we, we talked a little bit about areas of improvement um, for productivity and sleep has always been one that I'm working on and it's definitely improved this past couple of weeks. But you, you talked about um, your family having mealtime together. And I know this is such a difficult one. If I think about our, you know, our regular schedule we come home, my, my kids come home from school. They train every night at gymnastics. So they are off to the gym for training and it's impossible to have a sit down dinner. And so cooking as a family, it's just not translated into our daily life. But can you share how you've incorporated cooking in with your family? Maybe give some ideas because I know this is like a, a tough one for me. I'd love to know how to make mealtime more consistent so that we're not eating on the run so much or having meals pre-made what what are your thoughts on that well you know all three of us cook we love food uh we're all about international i mean our whole lives have revolved around a very global right our friendship groups are, are, are global work-wise both my husband and i uh work globally and obviously it translates into food as well. And uh, you should see uh, the number of cookbooks we have. We literally have shelves and shelves and we absolutely love different cuisines and we love sourcing new food and ingredients. And it's such a, um, it's almost like art. I would probably say, yeah, for us it's art. It's uh, creative, it's, um, innovative if you have a recipe you can adapt it and make it your own and uh and you never get bored because you hardly ever eat the same stuff you just uh make different things and and every meal therefore is a beautiful century um very pleasurable and very exciting experience and everybody gets to um to do something well i was gonna say cook together sometimes we cook together but most often uh, it's one of us takes over the kitchen and we just uh, put a meal together and it's all about presentation and uh, having the freshest ingredients and uh, and just sitting down together. We always, always, it's always been the rule in the house. No one ever eats separately. We'll always eat together. We'll find the time 
And this is when you exchange uh, news, you, you chat, you laugh, you joke. Uh, in the evenings, it's a glass of wine for my husband and I. Uh, the chemo patient obviously is not allowed any alcohol. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's just, it's a shared time. It's a time together. This is, this is when we, um, re- I mean, we are very close as a family, to be honest. Um, but, I mean, this is just yet another opportunity to, to gel. I love it. And you, you sent me a phenomenal cookbook. And we've just got to sit down and, and make some recipes. And do you know that list? cook? That cookbook literally came came all the way from London. Yotam Otalengi, he's a brilliant guy. His recipes are phenomenal. You got to try it. Absolutely, I will, and I'll take some pictures and send them to you. Um, <laughs> oh, Mandy's asking, what's the name of the cookbook, Kate? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's called Flavor. So he's got several. There's one which is called Plenty. Then there's Plenty More. Then there's one Jerusalem. Um, I mean, we are vegetarians, so I don't eat. Um, uh, I don't. I don't like to kill anything for my meal. Um, but so I mean, he's perfect for us. And so Yota Motolengi, he's an Israeli um, chef and. Uh, he combines uh, different cuisines beautifully. So he's got Asian, and like he combines it with uh, Middle Eastern, and it's just insanely good. I mean, I'm making myself hungry just thinking about it. Love it, love it. Well, Kate, I know also you're a big reader, and you've always been talking about the books you've been reading as we've been talking over the years. What have you been reading this year? And as you're talking, I know Mandy has sent me a ton of books. Um, she has kept me busy. I just, uh, when I was on the plane, I was going through all her notes and writing them all down because uh, she has probably given me ideas for interviews the next year. But what, what about you, Kate? And, and type in the chat what people are reading these days. Well, me, I consume, so basically my husband and I, we have the system. So we go fiction, nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction. Because otherwise, if you have too much, I went through a stage when I was just reading fiction for about a year. And I think <laughs> I slightly um, overdosed on that. So now we just do fiction, nonfiction, which is a great system, I think. And uh, this year I've been uh, going on, I've been hitting neuroscience stuff quite heavily, obviously for Mark's course. Um, at the moment, I'm on Neuro Wisdom, which is his book. Um, I've had some phenomenal um, African fiction, really incredibly good books, so well written, such a beautiful um, use of, of language and metaphors and vocabulary, just beautiful. Um, and also I came across um, Edith Egger, She's a psychoanalyst. She's currently living in Texas. She's, I think, at the moment, 93 years old. She's written the book that I've read is called The Choice. I think I may have sent it to you. It's called The Choice. Um, she, um, she, as a young girl, she ended up in Auschwitz, and she survived the camps, several camps, actually. Um, she and her sister, her family, all of them died. Uh, her mother and her father, I mean. Um, and she lived through, and, and it took her years, actually, no, not even years, decades, to make sense of everything that's happened in her life. And uh, the reason the book's called The Choice, and she says, whilst you cannot control events in your life, you can control how you respond to them. 
And uh, it's such an uplifting book. And I remember sitting in hospital with my child on chemo and I had this book in my hand. It's basically, it's a picture of Auschwitz and it looks pretty grim. And people and doctors and nurses were saying to me, like, haven't you got enough? Seriously, do you need to go do this as well? But it's actually, it's actually a really life-affirming, positive, beautiful, uh, and a very, very practical book. You know, when you're going through the hardest, I would highly recommend this book. It's a beautiful book. Mandy said I just got her book. So there you go. Mandy, you will love it. I promise you. Love it. Love it. And Kate, I've always been fascinated with Dr. Bruce Perry's work. And mm-hmm. he just he just released a book with Oprah. I've, I've been trying to get him on the podcast since last June. And uh, we just got an acceptance, but we don't have our date confirmed. But he just released a book. Um, my friends on the hiking trails, they, they, they tell, they give me all these ideas that a lot of the people I hike with early morning are educators. And, um, uh, what was, I can't, I can't think what his, what his book is, but it's all about, I think it's what happened to you, um, with Oprah. But anyway, um, I did a session on self-regulation in your brain, how to bounce back towards resiliency. It was all inspired by Dr. Bruce Perry. He's, phenomenal and I just can't wait I think I've got the date for October to have him on the podcast fantastic that's um, excellent yeah I'm, a, I'm really excited yeah that's it what happened to you and he's been friends with Oprah for a long time and doing work with her um, also I've got I've always got to be reading books for people that I'm interviewing because I've got to in order to ask questions and have conversation you've got to know what their book is about and I've got this interview coming up with Mike Roussel, and he talks about how surprise impacts the brain. Like when we have a, an incident that happens to us and we're surprised, there's something that happens in the brain. And that's what his book is about. And he's actually going to be a guest, uh, Kate, on our Mark Waldman call. He's coming on. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's good. But, but yeah, so, it, and his book doesn't come out till September. That's why the interview is not till August, but that's going to be a, a, a good one to see. Um, what about our listeners? Mandy, what are you reading? What 300 books have you got going <laughs> right now? Or Scott, I'm not sure if Scott's still here. Anyone else just t- type in the chat and... Um, Kate, I know that you've known me for a while and I know you love to push me beyond my limits, which I love. I love just, you know, having people to give you a a push towards what you're doing. Um, Being comfortable is not a good thing. I like being uncomfortable. And if you were to look at the speakers I've had on the podcast, who would you like to see me interview next? Give me some ideas with some people. Oh, I would personally love for you to have Simon Sinek. And um, I think his work is brilliant. I like him. He just, uh, he's a, yeah, I, I'm, his whole idea of his, of the why is mm. absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I would absolutely 100% have Simon over. Well, I've met Simon, had my picture with Simon. <laughs> <laughs> he's a hard one. He's a really hard one. It was really hard to, to get to meet him. But uh, 
Yeah, that's a good one. Well, you know, you've asked me to push you to be on your limits. There you go. There's your next challenge. Get Simon. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Any, Any other thoughts? Anyone other than Simon? Are you looking for an easy way out? What's going on, Andrea? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take the challenge. I'll see. I'll see what I can do. Actually, uh, you know, Ashley, you know, I I think I may have suggested it to you before. Um, I would um, I would say I'd have a life one to one with uh, Mark Waldman and also Joe Dispenza. I think that will be a very <laughs> interesting one. I would pay yeah. to listen to that one. Yeah, so so some of our listeners might not know that there's always such a weird rift between some neuroscience researchers that, you know, one doesn't like the other's theories. And I'm actually not allowed to interview. Um, who was it? Uh, I, I feel like, well, it must be Joe Dispenza, but there was somebody else that I had on my list. And Waldman's like, I forbid you to have him on your podcast. Well, like, I think if he also comes over, then then it should be fine. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. That would be definitely. But actually, engaging. Waldman, even Waldman by himself, because um, I think he's quite a uh, quite an engaging storyteller, and he uh, he makes difficult um, bits of neuroscience sound pretty um, pretty easy to understand. Oh, also, um, aside from uh, from Mark Waldman, which obviously I think um, is a good idea, but I would also say uh, that Lisa Feldman Barrett would be an excellent one. I don't know whether you've heard her, um, whether she's been on yet. No, I haven't. I haven't. But Mandy she's says She's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, she's brilliant. Huh. Okay. I've got some ideas. When I go back through here and edit, I'll write all these down. These are some good suggestions. And so just to kind of think about wrapping up, any other thoughts, any thoughts that the listeners have on how neuroscience has helped you with your personal and professional life? Um, what What do you think, Kate, to just kind of close this out here? Um, I think uh, just going back to my millennial leaders, um, I would suggest just finding your purpose and sticking to your purpose, understanding what you do and why, you know, why you're doing it. Um, not just, and I think now with the pandemic shaking things up and really turning our lives up, upside down, mm-hmm. life isn't exactly what it used to be and the way we've known it for generations. It's, I think we're entering a completely new era working and living and uh, building relationships, uh, friendships. Um, and therefore, I think it kind of deserves an overhaul and career-wise for sure. And uh, unless you are joining a company for, for a reason which you can really get behind and you know re- exactly why you're with this business and you, uh, you feel the purpose uh, their mission in your bones and you're really behind them, I kind of feel like there's no point. Life's too short. You know, if a 19-year-old uh, completely healthy and completely fine and um, can come down with cancer and uh, be, I would probably say, weeks away from dying, um, it could happen to anybody. So there's no point wasting life on something that you don't love and don't enjoy. You have to, if you're going to give your life, your your, your love, your energy, uh, give it to something that's worth it. 
Absolutely. There's so many little bits in there as well. The relationships have come up on a lot of the interviews as themes, like uh, the power of connection, staying connected, uh, and even the way that the pandemic switched our the way that we work. You know, a lot of people were banned from the travel, you know, and as things are opening up again, my husband just got told that he can go back into the field starting in August, but they've become so efficient working without the travel. Mm. So there's just the way that the pandemic shook up business. And I'm even thinking about the work that I do. I often go into the schools and, but becoming more efficient at doing webinar trainings has, has definitely shaken things up over here as well. So, you know, I've um, this morning um, I've come across this post on LinkedIn and someone said more with the pandemic uh, and more people working from home. A lot of companies are starting uh, to there's no other word for it, spy on their on their employees and track the speed of their typing and uh, listening in. And I'm thinking, hang on a second. So after over a year of this, you still don't trust your people. A. What does it say about you as a business? So like, who, what, what kind of people do you hire that you can't trust them? And B, also, what kind of management do you have that they can't get their people to uh, to work properly? Why do they need to be supervised like failing you know, high school kids? What, it's just, it's beyond anything. And I find it so offensive. And I just, um, I invite everybody to not allow that to happen to them. You have to stand up for your rights. You have to have very clear uh, boundaries and leave businesses which do that to you really genuinely leave them yeah absolutely absolutely kate and i've i've had someone mention scott mention dr alan watkins has anyone heard of him i haven't heard of him I haven't. yet no just these are some great suggestions as well. Thanks for everything. And Kate, I just want to, in closing here, thank you for almost a decade of friendship, mentorship, and learning, and for co-hosting this live stream, bringing your ideas and your thoughts and your challenges, everything that you've been going through, and staying on top of everything, and still moving forward. And for all the listeners who've downloaded an episode and supported the podcast, there's no way we would be hitting almost 143 countries and approaching that 100,000 download mark. So thanks for everything and for coming on today, giving ideas, suggestions for new speakers and um, interviews. Thanks for everything. If anyone has any final thoughts here, we're going to, I'm probably going to, it's dark here, so I'm not going to speech. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. It's such a joy and such a pleasure whenever we do anything together. I absolutely love it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for the listeners. And we'll just close it out for today. This is uh, the end of Brain Fact Friday. Thanks so much for everything. And thank you, Kate. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. 
If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 